0: Those of you who've uh, have come today, you're in for a treat. Um, we're studying one of the names of God today. And as I've been prepping this message, I've been really encouraged by it. And I've been really blessed. And so I'm sure that today's text and this, this, this particular name of God is going to be one that really encourages you too. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that this part of the service where we hear your word preached, is every bit as much worship as when we sing together. So Lord, we're not going to take our worship hats off, but we're going to keep them on. We're going to keep our hearts open to what your word is saying to us today, Lord. And we're actually going to put faith on this, Lord. We're actually going to believe that as we hear this word, that a change is going to be made within us. Lord, we're not content to live our Christian lives at the level we're living at right now. We want to remain hungry for you to move in us afresh. No matter how long we've been walking as Christians, be that 20, 30, 40, 50 years, Lord, we believe that today is a new day in the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, open up our hearts right now to hear what you're saying to us, Lord. Don't let us grow weary of hearing your word. Don't let us just see this as a, a dull part of the service, Lord, but let us see this as worship and fuel for our fire. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's let's read together from Genesis 17 Verse one, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with money shall surely be circumcised so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people for he has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old shall sarah who's 99 years old sorry shall sarah who's 90 years old bear a child and abraham said to god oh that ishmael might live before you god said no but sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name isaac i will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him as for ishmael I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you this time next year. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Until God revealed to himself, to Moses at the burning bush, He wasn't known by the name Yahweh, but he was known by a different name, a precious name, a cherished name. And that name is found in the very first verse of chapter 17 of Genesis. You know where it says, I am God Almighty? In Hebrew, that's Ani El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai translated into English is God Almighty. God Almighty. And you know the word almighty comes from all and mighty, doesn't it? Two smashed together. In the same in Greek is, is theos pantocrator, which means pan and kratos, which means all powerful. And in Latin, deos omnipotens, which is where we get our English word omnipotent from. So we're talking about God as being all powerful. This name El Shaddai that we're looking at today is really, really old. It's an ancient name. It's very, very old. In fact, it appears mostly in the book of Job, which although the book of Job appears kind of halfway through your Old Testament, it's actually, scholars believe, the earliest book of the whole Bible. And the name El Shaddai is in there. So we know that this name for God was being used millennia ago. This is a very, very old, ancient name for God. Now today, as we study this name, El Shaddai, I believe that God is going to breathe fresh encouragement, fresh encouragement and renewed hope into you today. I really believe that. And I believe that knowing and believing that God is El Shaddai will do a number of things. Genuinely, I I really believe this. Firstly, understanding God as El Shaddai is going to reinvigorate and enlarge our faith. It's going to reinvigorate and enlarge our faith. Secondly, understanding him by this name is going to help us to walk well through difficult seasons in life. It's going to help us really walk the best that we can through challenging seasons. How many of you have walked through challenging seasons recently? And thirdly, I think that this name and understanding it is going to help you be a more patient believer. I think it's going to help us to be able to wait in faith as we see God's promises come to pass in our lives now you remember growing up probably each one of you had a friend like this and in a sense I was this friend you'll have all had a friend like me right that when they said you know back in the day in the 80s and 90s we didn't have mobile phones we couldn't just be whatsapping one another you'd call each other up on the landline wouldn't you on a Saturday morning do you want to come over? Yeah, 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 I'll be around in 10 minutes. And then an hour would go by and two hours would go by. You'd have your lunch, you'd still be waiting. And sooner or later, this friend would kind of rock up uh, into your house. And this would go on for for years and years. How many of you had a friend like this, right? (laughs) Mr. Unpunctuality. And uh, as time went by, you would begin to kind of lose faith in them every time they said they'd be in a certain place for a certain time you'd think yeah i probably won't get dressed till 10 30 and I, i'll probably just kind of you know i'll, I'll guess they'll be here after lunch and uh, so your, your faith in their words would, would wane um as the years went by and i think that's fair enough i think that's fair enough i think that if somebody's shown themselves to be consistently untrustworthy in a particular area it's actually unwise to put faith in them in that particular area for example if somebody that you know is particularly bad with money like you lend them money and you never see it again it would be unwise to put faith in them to look after your money wouldn't it yeah and so I think that that's that's fair and actually people have this understanding about Christians that's false don't they out in the world they think that our faith Is exactly like that they think that the faith of a Christian is exactly like somebody that trusts someone who's bad with money with their money they think it's a blind faith Christian faith isn't like that Christian faith is trust at the very base level it's trust in a God who's trustworthy now I think for many Christians for many Christians they have such a low view of god such a worldly bound understanding of him that they're actually barely able to muster up faith in him now thanks be to god even the smallest amount of faith can save because it's not us that does the saving by our faith it's him isn't it it's faith in a great savior that saves us so even a tiny bit of faith is able to save but Living with low expectations of God can leave us in danger of experiencing something like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said was spiritual depression, spiritual depression. Now, spiritual depression is something like when a believer can be trusting in God to a degree, coming to church, faithfully reading their Bible, worshipping him, but experiencing long, long seasons of just feeling dissatisfied with God, sort of disappointed with God, uh, feeling low um, in their mood when they come to church and they worship, feeling a little bit kind of down really. And I think that spiritual depression is a fruit of having a low view of God. To someone who's living with low expectations of God and a low view of who he is, difficulties and troubles that are basically just molehills look like mountains to them. Have you ever met people like this? And there's none in this church, but you ever met people that, you know, a tiny issue, something really small to them is just huge. It's a massive deal and it just wrecks them, right? That's essentially what it's like to have spiritual depression. Something crops up in life that you didn't expect, that you didn't ask for and it just ruins you, right? We've all been through seasons like this, but they stem from essentially having a low view of God. Charles Spurgeon, whose birthday it is today, um, he said this, sin at the bottom of it frequently has its origin in low thoughts of God. Sin has its origin in low thoughts of God. So if low expectations of God, sorry, if if low faith flows from a low view of God, then surely great faith flows from a great view of God. Okay? So that's what we're going to be looking at today, is redressing our view of who God really is. And if we really understand who he is, then our faith is going to be shaped and enlarged by that. Now, I want for you to understand that. That each of us is on a journey of sanctification in this church nobody has it all figured out do they I don't have it all figured out I don't have a perfect view of God my view of God is growing all the time how about you and so today I want for us to put our L plates on and I want for us to go back to the Word and look at what the Word says about God and let that inform your faith okay that's what we're gonna do so let's look at this verse Genesis 17 let let's remember Cast our minds back a little bit from this story. Let's let's remember that this isn't the first time that God has spoken to Abraham. It's not the first time that God's made a covenant with him. In fact, many years before, God had spoken to Abraham in a vision. You can find that in chapter 15. He's spoken to Abraham in a vision and he promised him that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. Do you remember that? it says, look at the stars. Your offspring is going to be more numerous than these stars. And Abraham, it says, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, So it's not the first time that God has visited Abraham. A short time after God visits Abraham and says, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars. A short time after that, Sarah comes to Abraham and she says this, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Okay. At this point, they're beginning to take what God has said God's promises, they're taking what He said into their own hands and they come up with a plan. Okay? So Abraham takes Sarah's servant, Hagar. Do you remember Hagar? She actually calls God by another name that we're going to study in a few weeks' time, which is just beautiful. But he takes Hagar, Sarah's servant, as his wife. She gives birth to a son called Ishmael. And 13 years pass before God shows up again what were you doing 13 years ago I didn't even live in this city 13 years ago life was very different 13 how about you 13 years is a long time it's a long time so 13 years pass before God shows up again at the start of chapter 17 and by this point in time Abraham definitely thinks that God's promise was going to be fulfilled through Ishmael why wouldn't he his son had been 13 years old by this point Ishmael was 13 and God hadn't come immediately after he married Hagar and said Abraham you're doing it wrong you're not supposed to do it this way God waited 13 years before coming back now Abraham at this point is thinking, God, why have you come back? We've got Ishmael. This is how it's going to get done. And I think Abraham's mindset here, you know where it says that he laughed? When God said to him, Sarah's going to give birth in a year, he laughed, didn't he? And he said, Lord, no, don't worry about it. We've got it covered. Let these promises come through Ishmael. And I think Abraham here has the kind of mindset that so many Christians have today. That pragmatic mindset. On the one hand, they're thankful to God for his goodness. They're thankful to God for his promises. But on the other hand, they don't really trust him to fulfill those promises. Any of you recognize that? Yeah, God. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. He's going to work all things together for good. But then when bad stuff happens, oh, this doesn't feel very right. I'm not sure that I trust God to do all of this. And we begin to take his promises into our own hands. And I think on a level, God, sorry, Abraham, is kind of congratulating himself on doing God a favor. He's kind of thinking, you know what? God, you are lucky to have me and Sarah with our wit and our ingenuity to help you out with your promise that you made. You know, it's a good job we're so practical and that we had Hagar here Otherwise, God, your promises might not have come to pass. Now, I think that's how many of us Christians think. We we think that God needs us. He needs our help to get his promises to come pa- to come to pass. And I say things like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's called pragmatism. That's not grace. That's pragmatism. And that has crept into the church in the last 100 years. Pragmatism is simply the mindset that says we are going to get to God's ends. We're going to reach God's promises. The end of what he's told us is going to be. But we're going to do it by whatever means possible. That's what pragmatism is. Reach the end by any means possible. Just like Abraham. Pragmatists are prepared to do things that God never commanded them to do. They're prepared to use people like Hagar, to use people in a strategic and manipulative way to achieve what they think God promised to them. Does that sound familiar? It's happening in ministry right now. It's very tempting, and I think in everybody's lives we can see a little bit of this. We don't trust God enough. We don't have a big enough view of God. And so we think, I've got to help God out. And we begin to strive. We begin to take his promises and his word into our own hands and try and make it happen. Try and rush his promises through. And we begin to forget that actually the means matter to God as much as the end. How we live our life is every bit as important as where we reach in life, I hope that makes sense and Abraham and Sarai what they tried to do was just lower the bar of what God had promised to make it more practical, to make it more achievable and God has to remind me again and again and again, he says Graham I'm not in a rush, I'm not in a rush, I'm not in a hurry so why are you trying to rush my promises through in your life why are you trying to rush the process and skip steps does that sound familiar to you i think many christians have this sense that they've missed the boat in life that god had this plan a for them and somehow you know they got off and now they've got to try and cut corners to get back to plan a and they feel like they're in a rush in a hurry and god's saying i'm not rushing if he could wait 13 years before revisiting abraham he's not in a rush He's not in a hurry. You know, I think if there's one fruit of the Spirit that we could all do with growing in, it's patience. It's patience. Because we can make such a mess trying to force God's promises for our life into existence before the proper time. Look at the mess that Abraham made. What did he end up with through taking Hagar? He ended up with an unhappy wife. He ended up with a mother of his child who was running away and had to be brought back by God. And he ended up with this son, Ishmael, who, though God blessed him, became a problem for his son Isaac in the future. He created problems through trying to rush God's promises through for his life. Now, even despite all of that, God even used his mistakes. He blessed Abraham's mistakes, didn't he? And God's able to do that for you today when we've made a mess in our lives, when we have tried to force things through in our lives before the proper time. God doesn't necessarily take away the damage that we've done, but he does redeem it. Now when Abraham is 99 years old, Ishmael is 13, God visits him. Many scholars believe that this visitation is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that's visiting him here in Genesis 17. What's the first thing that God says to Abraham? What's the first thing he says? He doesn't say, Abraham, stand up. Look Look yourself in the mirror, Abraham, and remind yourself who you are. Remind yourself of who you are. Stand up, put your shoulders back, put your chest out. Remember your identity in me. He doesn't say that. He says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. That's who I am. That's what God says. He first tells him who he is before he speaks to Abraham about himself. I think that's very interesting. The first thing that God does isn't to remind Abraham of the promise. It's not to tell Abraham about, look, you know, remember when I promised to you, you were going to have offspring as many as the stars in the sky. He doesn't tell him that. He doesn't tell Abraham who he's supposed to be. The first and most important thing for Abraham to know wasn't who he was, it wasn't what his personal mission was; it was who God is. Now I want you to understand something very clearly here. This is an important distinction. Okay? You might think, "Well, what's the point?" You know, Graham. This is this is all just semantics. It's all words. Now listen to me. In the world, what is the thing that people think is the key to happiness and the key to success? In the world. It's all about knowing yourself. Know thyself. Look yourself in the mirror and say declarations. That's what the world says. Know what your mission is in life. Know what your vocation is. And if you know yourself, then you'll be happy. But that's not how the Bible sees it. If you don't know who God is, you can't figure out who you are. And if you spend your life trying to figure out who you are you're destined to live a life of unfulfillment if you spend your whole life trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing you'll miss out on what you're supposed to be doing because the most important thing for you to know is not who you are it's not who you are in christ these things are important but they're secondary the most important thing for you and anyone on this planet to know is who is God? Who is God? And the Bible says he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He is sovereign. That's what that means. He is all-powerful. Abraham needed reminding of who God was. I think many of our problems in our lives today, weak faith, persistent sin, lukewarm devotion seeing it all in 2022. all of that would be cured by knowing and reminding ourselves not who we are but who God is amen and actually believing it you know soon Jesus is going to return Jesus is coming back folks he's coming back He's going to judge the living and the dead. I, know, I don't know if I'll be alive when that happens. I don't know if our kids will be alive, but it's going to happen soon. And it's real. It's a historical event. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready for that to happen, do you think? He says to Abraham, I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. Whereas Elohim, the name we studied last time, speaks of the God of creation and nature, El Shaddai, God Almighty, is the God who makes all the powers of nature subject and subservient to the work of grace. That's what El Shaddai means. So when we confess and believe in God, El Shaddai, we're believing a number of things. Firstly, we're believing that El Shaddai, God, can work all things and does work all things according to the counsel of his own will that's in ephesians 1 11. how many of you read ephesians how many of you read it through in one sitting do it ephesians 1 is literally top top level theology and will help you understand this name el shaddai he works all things according to the counsel of his will the belgic confession one of the confessions that we use here it says this we believe that this good god after creating all things did not abandon them to chance or to fortune but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without god's orderly arrangement Yet God is not the author of and cannot be charged with the sin that occurs, for God's power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that God arranges and does all his works very well and justly, even when the devils and the wicked act unjustly. Get your head around that one. Secondly, when we believe in El Shaddai, we are believing that God works all things together, say all things, all things together for the good of those who love him that's romans eight twenty eight. okay all things work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose now sometimes i think we get that verse mixed up because we think that it's going to feel good we think that's what it's saying that he's going to work all things together in a good way for us That it's going to feel good. But that's not what it's talking about. The context of Romans 8 is all about salvation. So when we read earlier in that confession that Ruth led us in, he causes all things to work together for what? For our salvation. That's the ultimate good. We've got to remember that this life on earth is a drop in the ocean. It's a blink of an eye in eternity. And the greatest good of all is not to have a big house not to have a big car not to have happiness and peace and prosperity in this life but is to have peace with God for all eternity that's the greatest good and thirdly El Shaddai means this it means that nothing is impossible for God nothing is impossible for him Jesus said in Matthew 19:26, he said with man this is impossible but with God All things are possible that's what El Shaddai means nothing is impossible for God now remember again brothers and sisters when God shows up to Abraham Abraham is 99 years old that's an old dude he is well past being able to have children okay he's given up on that practically it's impossible hopeless he even laughs at God When God says that Sarah will have a son, he's thinking, impossible. How many of you are sat here today believing it's impossible for God to do something fresh in your life? How many of you today have given up hope on the things that you once prayed for in hope? How many of you today are laughing at God? No, I can't do that. Not going to happen. You know it's so funny. I remember a few years ago when I was pastoring at a different church at Liespring, I had a prophetic word. When I was at a conference, I said, "If you're over the age of 50, I want you to stand up." And I got all the 50s and above to stand up and come down the front. And I prayed and I said, "I believe God is going to use this generation. I believe that God has got a fresh plan for you to be leading and to be um, raising up disciples in the church." Now it didn't happen at, at that church. But look what's happening here. Look what's happening. Look who's leading. My parents, my in-laws, Garth. That generation is leading in the church. God brought that promise to pass. And I want to say today: how many of you are sat here today just thinking that, you know, it's done for you? You've reached a point in life where things are settled and God's kind of finished with you and there's no more mountaintop experiences and he doesn't really have anything great for you in the future. You're just going to kind of tick over until you die. Please remember, Abraham was 99 when God visited him. He thought it was done. And God had fresh plans for him, fresh, powerful encounters for him. I want you to remember God's not done with you. the promises over your life prophetic words maybe hopes and dreams and prayers that seem impossible and I want for us to remember today the God that we believe in is El Shaddai nothing is impossible for him nothing is impossible how many of you today can connect with what I'm saying you know there's a lot of blank faces can you connect with what I'm saying here do you have dreams and hopes that you've kind of felt "Ah, it's not gonna happen anymore I do Let's bring him before this God, El Shaddai, today. And believe that nothing is impossible. He's more concerned to bring about his promises in your life than you are. But we've got to remember these things happen in his sovereign timing. Like I said, 13 years ago is a long time. 13 years ago, I had no clue that I'd be pastoring anything in 13 years' time. I was a youth worker in Oxford. God can do a lot in 13 years. Now, we're not to try and force God's hand, are we? Like Abraham and Sarah did. We're not supposed to do that. To take God's promises into our own hands and say, look, you know, God, we'll help you out. We'll help you out. We we know what to do. Um, And we try and force God's promises and plans to happen in our lives before the right timing. And it's unbelief. That's where it comes from. It's actually comes from unbelief and it'll feel like striving that's how you know if you're trying to force God's plans through in your life it'll feel tiring it'll feel like you're working hard for like nothing okay so that's how we know but equally I believe that there's actually an active side of waiting for God I don't think we're just supposed to sit back on our laurels like Abraham uh, here i don't think that we just kind of do nothing and just wait for everything to magically happen according to god's will in our lives because the next thing that god says to abraham after i am god almighty is this it's a command walk before me and be blameless walk before me and be blameless that you may multiply greatly that's a command It's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't show up and say, Abraham, here's the deal. We need to get this thing rolling. I've given you this promise, Abraham, and Sarah hasn't given birth yet. Here's her cycle. Here's her ovulation cycle. Now, if you guys get to it on these dates, it's going to happen. He doesn't give him a practical blueprint of how to accomplish the promises. He says, listen, walk before me. Live before me. And walk in a manner that's holy and blameless. And then what I've promised will come to pass. God doesn't get tactical with him. He doesn't talk to him about the promise. His concern is with the integrity of Abraham's walk. The integrity of his life. And that's what God's concerned with, with you today. He's concerned with the integrity of your walk. And so often in life, we're in a rush, aren't we, for God to bring about all of his promises. And we're calling on God to give us strategies to be more effective. We're calling on God to speak into our lives and just give us a clue about what we're supposed to do next. But we're less concerned about the integrity of our walk. And I believe that God is saying today, listen, your job is not to worry about the whens and the hows of what I'm going to do in your life your job is to stop striving and just walk before me in integrity live in my presence live every day mindful of my presence put one foot in front of the other in holiness and i'll make sure that everything every word that i've promised over your life comes to pass in my proper timing that's all god's saying so what is it to walk before him well i believe as i say it's to order each step when i say step every day when you wake up first thing you think of i've woken up in the presence of god today you're thinking about him before you're thinking about yourself it's being conscious sorry conscious of god's presence in your life spurgeon said the mark of a truly sanctified man of god Is that he lives in every place as standing in the presence chamber of the divine majesty he acts as knowing that the eye which never sleeps is always fixed upon him that's how we walk before god that's how we walk in holiness and today this is the call this is the call over the church is not to build big buildings is not to become favorable in the eyes of worldly men is not to become high-profile movers and shakers. is to walk in holiness before God, not before men. So many Christians are not walking before God, but they're walking before the opinions of men. They're walking in a manner that gets people to look at them. They're walking before their work pals. They're walking before their husband or their wife. They're walking before their mates. But they're not walking before God. They're not mindful of his presence. They're not mindful of what God thinks about their life. Brothers and sisters, these are the last days. If ever there was a time to be mindful of God's presence, it's now. It's right now. And if you haven't been doing that, today's a good day to start. It's as we daily commit to that walk of holiness, being mindful of his presence, that El Shaddai works behind the scenes to bring all of his words to pass in our lives. Isaiah fifty-five eleven says, so shall my word that goes out before my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Our role today is to keep our eyes fixed on him and center our lives around his presence. I think also to say, as I've talked about holiness, I don't want to assume that everybody here is born again. I don't know. But it's to remember this that holiness, Spurgeon said, is a flower, not a root. It is not sanctification that saves, meaning it's not your holiness that saves you, but it's salvation that sanctifies. You're not saved by your holiness. But you become holy because you're saved and finally I'll say this and finish El Shaddai is a covenant keeping God he's a covenant keeping God what's a covenant well it's like an agreement between two parties okay and if certain conditions are met then the blessings of that covenant are poured out from one party to the other and if you read your Bible It's a long story of many covenants that were made between God and man. And also, it's a long story of men breaking their covenants with God time and time and time again. But there's something really interesting about this covenant that God makes with Abraham. Really, really interesting. Now, in Abraham's time, when a covenant was made, and you read this back in chapter 15 of Genesis, when a covenant was made... An animal or animals would be chopped in two, brutal isn't it, and spread across either side of a path. And then the two parties that were making the covenant would walk between the animal carcasses. And what was essentially being said was, let what has happened to these animals happen to the one who breaks this covenant. Very serious, you wouldn't forget that in a hurry would you? But in Genesis 15, what's really interesting is that when they made their covenant and the animals were brought and slaughtered and divided, it wasn't Abraham that walked through them. No. Abraham was put into a deep sleep, it says. And it was El Shaddai who walked between these carcasses alone. What does this signify? What does it mean? Well, it means this. It's saying that El Shaddai, by his own strength, and his own power without Abraham's help he on his own was going to keep the promises of that covenant he was going to make sure that what he promised would come to pass in Abraham's life and he didn't need Abraham's help the blessings would come upon Abraham not through any of his own work but simply through El Shaddai's work and that covenant God made with Abraham is the basis of the covenant that we have today through Christ God Almighty El Shaddai has made a covenant with himself father with son to save a people for himself by the power of the Holy Spirit so we're saved by the power of El Shaddai God Almighty not by our own works but by his The work of salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. And just like Abraham was put to sleep and could do no work for that covenant, so too our works are not needed for salvation. But we're saved by his works and his work alone. All we need to do is believe. All we need to do is believe on Christ to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that none may boast. I want for us to stand and pray. I really sensed as I was prepping this word today, I just sensed for myself, there are a lot of promises that I believe God has over my life. That perhaps in the past I've tried to force through. And there are some other promises that I kind of feel like, God, how's that going to happen? And I'm sure that many of you in the room today feel the same. I think um, in amongst us there are prophetic words, hopes and dreams that we each have that I feel we need to just put back on the table today. And put before God Almighty and believe that he can bring these things to pass. So I want for us to just put put our hands out before us right now. And and we'll pray. I ask the worship team to come up as well. Lord, we recognize that you're here with us this afternoon. Your spirit is with us. And God we thank you that your promises over our lives as your children will come to pass that you will accomplish all your good purposes in us And God we ask forgiveness for sometimes downgrading your promises over us we we ask forgiveness lord for sometimes the fact that we've we've kind of even forgotten some of the things that you've spoken over us because we just thought there's no way that's going to happen nor we ask for forgiveness and Lord we step back into your word over our lives we believe that you are God almighty we believe that all things are possible for you and Lord we 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 ask right now that Any years that have been stolen from us, either by the enemy or just through getting a bit lost in life, you would use for good. You would turn for good, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, we we ask as well for deliverance this afternoon. We ask for freedom from that spirit of mourning, if you can call it that, or this sense of of grieving over what has gone or what we've missed out on in life. We ask for freedom from that, Lord God. Today is a new day. I just pray for reinvigorated hope, enlarged faith for us this afternoon. And I just pray as well for those who who maybe feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I pray for you, especially those who feel that, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. This is it. I just thank you that today is a new day for you in the Lord. And that even these dark seasons, he's using. And he will turn for good. Oh God, we thank you for all that you do. And that your promises over us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you want to stay standing, we're going to worship before we finish up. Please stay afterwards for teas and coffees. Let's just worship together before we close.